You're a swimmer, a cyclist, a runner. You're a triathlete. You're a conqueror of the multi-sport mentality. You seek greatness in your everyday life. But as an age grouper, your forte is the physical fitness that you strive for. Endurance is your middle name. You're listening to the Age Grouper for Life podcast, the ultimate source for living the triathlon lifestyle. Colin and Elliot will discuss the most optimal training techniques to get you where you want to be mentally and physically so you're ready to bring it. You can do it. Ready to bring it? Welcoming your host, Peak Triathlon and USAT certified coaches, Colin Cook and Elliot Kawaoka. Hey, how you doing everybody? This is Colin Cook with Elliot Kawaoka. And this is Age Grouper for Life, episode number eight. And this is uh, our first interview post-Kona 2016. Uh, so uh, I had the, I guess we'll call it pleasure of, uh, of racing it this year. Um, and uh, yeah, um, we'll, uh, we'll jump right in, I guess, and talk uh, a little bit about that, huh? Yeah, but to, uh, I mean, you told me before the race, I mean, you're even, you're considering not even doing it, and I told you that it would be a huge mistake not to go, and you should feel lucky to go no matter what the circumstances are, and I know your life was very busy, and with work, family, and moving into your new house, so. Yeah, no, for kudos sure. For, kudos for you for even getting there, because, I mean, you saw me try, and I mean, it's hard to qualify these days so you should be proud that you're even up to race there completely agree great way to start it off you know for sure yeah there i had some uh some doubts just uh you know so we got uh three kids these days my oldest actually on race day of kona i'm sorry my youngest was uh three months uh so that's always kind of a challenging time in uh parents lives um so the the addition and now having three boys under the age of four has uh definitely been no joke but uh um it's been good and uh of course uh my wife and i decided it'd be a good idea to uh move um you know two months before the race so um that uh, definitely added in a monkey wrench that uh i really wasn't expecting but uh looking back on it now here very ma- very happy uh to have made that move and uh we're really happy with our new house so um no regrets there. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, you know, I went back and forth a little bit, but, uh, you know, looking back at this probably in 10 years, you know, I know I'll be very happy that I made the decision to, to get over there because uh, it's not getting any easier. And, uh, you know, especially with uh, uh, time kind of against me here with the boys and things from a, from a racing perspective, obviously I'm very excited with the direction my life's headed, but uh, my Ironman training and racing for sure, I think, is... Uh, is on the, the fritz here for a bit so um you know glad to have uh, have gotten the race in um i actually hadn't uh finished a race uh since uh since ironman texas back in may so just about uh five months in between my races there geez now that i think about it so that's pretty crazy um so 
but but leading up to it, you know, definitely actually I was amazed how much the move affected me. And, uh, you know, I knew it was going to take some time, but uh, just mentally it, it really beat me up. And uh, trying to do that with the baby and uh, everything else, it was, it was really hard. So uh, there's no doubt that my fitness took a hit during that time, you know. And so um, I definitely had, uh, you know, realistic expectations heading to the race, which was ultimately no expectations. You know, I certainly had some some ballpark ideas of some, you know, things I wanted to do during the race, but, uh, um, you know, knew it wasn't gonna, wasn't gonna be a PR and, uh, just, just had to accept that and, uh, go out there and do my best. So, um, with that, you know, so we ended up, uh, just my wife and our three month old Gabriel came, um, with me to, to Hawaii. So we actually, uh, flew out, um, uh, week before the race, uh, actually the, the Friday to just over a week before the race that Friday, we flew to LA and a good friend of mine from college, uh, he got married, uh, in on Saturday in LA. So we spent the weekend in LA and, uh, then we, uh, headed to Kona on Sunday and, uh, to, uh, show, uh, how, uh, absent-minded I guess I can be or maybe too many things going on uh, while I was in in LA I actually uh, managed uh, long story short uh, to I borrowed one of my clients um, zip 808s for uh, the race and I ran over my front wheel with the truck that I rented so um, it was it was unraceable and uh, definitely was not hill uh, thrilled and Probably about a thousand dollar mistake that I made, but uh, more importantly, at, <laughs> this is uh, the first time I'm hearing this story. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry, maybe I didn't tell you about this. So, yeah, you know, we were basically we were taking the uh, the um, bike in and out of the truck, um, putting it in the truck bed when we were driving, but then we had Gabriel in the back seat um, when we um, when we were driving. So I'd have to uh, um, put it in the uh, sorry the the, tr- the bike in the truck bed when we were driving. Um, but then I'd put it inside the cab when we were somewhere so that it wouldn't get stolen. And, uh, so I was taking the front wheel off to do that and I set it up beside the truck and put Gabe in and then I backed up and I heard a noise. And before I even had to look, I knew that, uh, I knew what it was and I was like, oh boy. So, um, fortunately the SIPO guys actually helped me out. They let me borrow a wheel for a couple days, but it was like a profile design, kind of a, um, not very deep dish wheel. So I knew I needed to get something else. So I actually ended up, uh, renting a set of, uh, the 808, uh, NSWs, the zips, um, from, uh, from race day wheels. Um, so yeah, dropped 280 bucks to rent those wheels. And then, uh, looks like it's going to be, uh, I don't know, seven or 800 bucks, uh, at least to, uh, to get my, um, my client a new, uh, new front wheel here. So, um, (laughs) Yeah. Something major happens to you at every single before every single race, either your power meter or yeah, you know, yeah, that's right, Canada, the power your, meter. Your brakes are rubbing or something. It's always got to be something. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's now. Uh, well, I guess uh, I I did add manage to have some decent luck in Texas, but uh, while we're at it here, to show my imbecileness here, uh, last year on the way to Maryland, I forget if we. Yeah, I don't think we had ever talked about this. A was stocking up the car after we were, um, we drove down there and, uh, we stayed at a hotel one night and, uh, I managed to run my aero helmet over with the truck. So 
me and me trucks and my triathlon gear apparently don't ra- uh, mix very well uh, just prior to the races here. So well, don't run <laughs> over your kids. That's all this is I true. There's been a few people that remind me that, that you know it's it's a lot easier to place and uh, a lot better than running over one of them. So I guess we'll we'll take the good on that. <laughs> uh, so. Why don't we actually, uh, we're going to have um, our guest for this uh, episode here is, uh, will kind of fall into uh, my racetrack here. Uh, his name is Michael Nelker, and uh, he is a Swedish athlete that I met during the run of, uh, of Kona here. Um, so why don't we, I want to hear about his race, and I think we've got some interesting things to talk about with the race here. So um, we're going to intro him uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll jump into talking about the race specifically here. So be right back with Michael here. All right. So we are back here with our guest here, Michael Nelker, who is, uh, uh, comes from Sweden. And, uh, as we'll kind of go into the race report here, uh, I met Michael, as I said, uh, uh, on the run course of Kona this year. And, um, we'll talk about that again in a minute, but, uh, welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you very much. So let's hear a little bit about yourself. So again, I mentioned you're from Sweden, but uh, let's hear about your family a little bit, maybe your background in triathlon, or even before that, uh, tell us your deal. Very, in a very short way, I'm, uh, I'm 38 years old. I actually come from um, tennis, uh, some track and field, and also um, played some soccer, obviously, because I'm Swedish, <laughs> and then uh, golfing and wakeboarding, so a very wide sort of sporting background um, started out actually training for uh, endurance sports when I got my first son when I was 30 I I knew I was pretty decent runner from my career as a tennis player when we had some you know you go uh, running sometimes of course but um, never never ran more than 5 or 10k I guess so noticed I was kind of had an easy, easy way going, so started up and uh, had some friends that we had a, had a race here in Stockholm. So we signed up, obviously, when we were drunk, as <laughs> people do. And then, you know, we met some stupid bets or something. And we actually went pretty well. It was an Olympic distance. And after that, I just felt like this, this must be my new thing. So I signed up for I um, Then... We had an Ironman in Sweden, but it wasn't really, the venue wasn't Ironman. We called it um, an S, Swedish thing. It's actually a translation of Ironman. It's called Jarnmannen, which is Swinglish for it. So, um, so okay. I did that in 2010. And then at 10 hours, 15 minutes, felt good. So uh, after that, just hooked. And the sport sucks you right in. So <laughs> Yeah, sure does. Well, that's a pretty, pretty impressive first Ironman. No, well, I, well, I had a year to no, a half a year to um, to start up, and um, yeah, so get two kids. One is eight now, and the second one is six. A boy and a girl, uh, married. Bought our, bought our first house, so we're moving in in a few weeks. So I'm definitely going to have one of those pain caves or man caves, what you call it. <laughs> yeah, I've been living in a small apartment uh, until now, so it's going to be. Um, Nice to have somewhere to be in the winter time because Sweden gets pretty cold, so hard to train sure. during winter. So that's that's my, uh, yeah. For a living, I'm a stockbroker here in, uh, in Sweden. Stockbroker, yeah, cool. 
So does that Somewhere. give you uh, does that give you much flexibility with your training, or how are the hours with that? No, it really doesn't. I'm starting work at seven fifteen in the morning, come home at six. Uh, I can go out, of course, to run twice a week, maybe during work hours. Sometimes I can even manage to get a swim or a shorter bike session, but that's it. Wow. So my 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 training uh, uh, per week, I might seven to eleven hours, depending. Wow, yeah. not more than that. Yeah. And, do, and do you work with a coach, Michael? Yeah, of course. I mean, if you, if you have very limited time, uh, I guess some talent, anyways, and uh, a very you want to m- maximize what you can do with yourself. You need to have someone that you can talk to. I mean, I don't have the experience or the the knowledge to to do that myself. So I'm working with an ex uh, professional athlete. I think many Americans know about him. His name is Bjorn Andersson. He's uh, yeah. one of the, the old Eber bikers. Um, he's actually quite a good runner for a guy that size, but hasn't really come through uh, during his career. Uh, I guess he didn't work with the coach either, so I think he just burned out. Yeah. Yeah, I certainly, actually, I remember the first time I heard that nerve saw him, actually, was uh, the Timmerman half Ironman, and uh, he came off the bike like, eight or ten minutes in the lead because uh he just crushed the bike so yeah <laughs> I, 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 tried to, I tried to be on his wheels when we were training i mean i was, I was 270 280 watts just feeling like shit behind him and he was like <laughs> whistling in front of me and he didn't even notice this <laughs> yeah Good deal. So I, I'm curious. So during the week, if you start work that early, do you do you still try and get something in before work? Do you usually train after work, or when when do you train during the week? I, you know, I know you mentioned you said you can sneak some runs in occasionally, but tell me a little bit more about your midweek training. No, I'm definitely not a morning person. Uh, <laughs> so I hate workouts in the morning, um, so I can usually I I try to get something done every day. Uh, I mean, running is the simplest thing. You can just put your shoes on and run wherever you wherever you are, right? Sure. And I guess um, cycling, when it comes to cycling, if you have a, a trainer that is, uh, I mean, up, up in your room, you can always get a session going there. It's a, The problem is swimming, I guess. So I just swim once or twice a week. So that's my also my Achilles. I'm not a very strong swimmer, although I'm... Fairly good on if you measure in how much time I put into it, but I mean that's that's the big thief in time. I guess you have to go to the to the pool and you have to I mean, get into gear and then do the session and then come home and that's oh, two and a half hours. Yeah, for sure. And I just don't see I don't, I just don't see that time happening for me. So I mean during during the summertime it's okay. I mean if you're in the, on the beach with your kids you can always sneak out for thirty minutes. But I mean if during winter it's tough. Yeah. So, yeah. so I think running is fine. So usually late nights I can do a training trainer session at nine o'clock, thirty past nine maybe. I guess that's fine. You just have to live with it. If you really want something, I guess you have to sneak it in whatever you whatever is whatever is suitable. Yeah, that's a yeah. good point. Definitely agree with uh, you know when there's a will, there's a way. You know if you're dedicated and want something bad enough, you're gonna figure out ways to do it. So. Uh, yeah, right. And Absolutely. my wife is, 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 a, is a goddess when it comes to letting me do stupid things. So she's actually <laughs> yeah. That is uh, that's also a requirement here if you're going to have the family, I think, and be able to uh, to compete at the level you're uh, you're racing at for sure. <laughs> yes. Cool. Um, 
Awesome. All right. So, um, and this is your third time, as you said, uh, racing Kona, correct? Correct. I've, uh, 13 and 14 was two smooth years. I some good results and uh, managed to go there on my first try. This During 15, I messed up badly. I, I, two, I broke Calmar. I, my front wheel smashed and I couldn't, I couldn't continue. Two weeks after that, I smashed in, um, in Vichy in France, so I couldn't qualify there either. So I went back training and then tried to do South Africa. And after 300 meters on the bike, I smashed into a fence again, broke my bike in half and the disc wheel and my face. So went to Lanzarote a month after that, and then I got sick. So I actually did the race, uh, but I didn't have any power in my body. So it just took, it took me like 11 hours. And then, um, so... I actually gave up somewhat. So, but then the organization here in Sweden gave me a slot, and I say, well, "What the hell? I can do it anyways. I would have a better thing to do." And so I did my first sub nine, which was um, pretty awesome. At at Ironman Sweden, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, very it's cool. A, it's a, it's a fairly it's a, it's it's measured all, all right. I mean, I, even the bike is actually longer than, than uh, 180, but it's it's a flat race, and if the conditions are good, it's really fast. Usually it's extremely windy, so yeah. that takes uh, takes the power out of people. But this year it was, I guess, 16, 18 degrees Celsius, and then uh, not many, not not much wind at all. So it's pretty good. It sounds pretty good to me. Absolutely. Oh, cool. Well, uh, again, so I but I was kind of out of wind when I came to Kona. I mean, you know, your your body's not really recovered correctly. Just six weeks in between and. Also, mentally, you're kind of drawn out, I guess. I don't know. I think Elliot's going to disagree with you, right? Elliot, you like, what, just like two or three weeks, and you're no problem recovered and ready for oh, another yeah. Ironman, right? I could race Ironman every single week <laughs> if I wanted to. No, I mean, I had the same issues as you. I mean, I Kona Chase this year, I guess, and I guess maybe that is not the right method to go by because, I mean, once you get there, you're like, all right, well, I can qualify at any race now, and... You show up to one race, something happens, and you don't qualify. And I mean, these races take so much out of you, and it's tough to rebound from them and and race like a month or six weeks later. And um, I, that was my case this year. I mean, I just I tried to get there so bad this year and kept failing. And I'm kind of at the stage where you were like really unmotivated right now. And so I'm. It's nice to hear someone else say that. <laughs> And then, of course, though, also he did make it after that, though, too. But go ahead, Michael. Yeah, when you chase those slots, I think it's just like it puts you into a position where if anything goes wrong during the race, you, you, you mentally you just just you just fall out. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. an automatic failure, and it's I I think it's the wrong mindset to have. I mean, I yeah, I I kind of miss the joy of just racing and not really stressing about that and if it happens it happens but i mean i put too much stress on myself to kona qualify every time i mean kona it's an awesome bonus i yeah. think one should be really pleased if you're there every other year or maybe two out of three or two out of four or whatever if you go there every year I mean, that's not even the pros can manage that so why why would a bunch of amateurs do it? Yeah, that's a good point. Never mind uh, your bank account being able to afford it, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's another story. Uh, 
I liked it. Uh, one time I was talking with uh, one of my managers at work and, uh, you know, we were talking about, because I did go three years in a row, you know, and he was like, so basically you go on a honeymoon every year. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And uh, it's well worth it. But uh, um, you're absolutely right, Michael. It's tough to, to get back there every year. And uh, and it's it's tough to have realistic, or you got to have realistic expectations. So. I mean, if, if you take a race, I mean, I guess like uh, South Africa or Kalmar in Sweden or Copenhagen here in Sweden, those races are actually, or Bolton in, in the UK, those races are actually quite easy to qualify at. If you compare to the to some of the uh, tougher races like Nice or Lanzarote or some, some yeah. high prestige races. So, uh, you have, you, I mean, of course, I mean, you, can't, you can't really put your shoes out and they will run for themselves, but. It's fairly fairly easy to qualify, but I mean, people, all my friends, including myself, when you really want to qualify, you, you you're getting like like you get into this mentally position where you just failures are an option, and when when something goes wrong, like you get a flat tire or you miss, you get a slow swim time and come come out on the bike, and you you you, you think you see people drafting more than they actually are, you just it goes, you go bananas, and I think I'm never going to be there again. I'm going yeah. to take a race much sooner now. South Africa again, actually. Oh yeah, and, cool. yeah, yeah. And then, and then, if that, that doesn't work out, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm actually gonna skip Kona then. Yeah, cool. There's other things rather than going there, I guess. But right, right, sure. Cool. Such a nice bonus. I mean, having that to look forward to. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about, um, so how long are the flights? How long does it take you to get to Kona? Long time, right? Well, the one good thing is that Scandinavian Airlines, SAS, has started to fly from my hometown, Stockholm, to uh, Los Angeles. And that takes about 11, 12 hours. Yeah, and then it's another five and a half or six from there. So that's not too bad. But the, 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 the problem part is it's 12 hour time difference. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's well, a good point. Going too. west is actually okay because you're actually flying into time. So even though the flight is like 23 hours, you, you, you'll you be there in 12 hours. <laughs> yeah. So when you're going back, you, you're losing time. So that's, uh, I, I start out flying home on a Sunday, Wednesday, I'm coming home on a Friday. <laughs> that sucks. Yeah, yeah, coming back is tough for sure. Um, but uh, so when did you get arrived to Kona? Usually I try to go there like a week prior. So it's time Friday night. The year before that, and on the Saturday, I think six, seven days for me is fine. I, I don't, I don't, I don't get bothered by the heat so much. So that's that's okay. It's more getting into gear and you know try your bike out and um, get a little feel of, of the atmosphere. It's pretty. I mean, it's pretty far out from Stockholm. We have uh, summer temperatures here up to maybe 23, 25 degrees Celsius. Kona mm-hmm. is like 35, 40. Yeah. And uh, humid and hot, we don't have that. So it's uh, it's a big deal coming in there and, and, and try to climatize uh, to, to, to the temperatures and to the environment. For sure. But I think a week is okay. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I have a life uh, apart from this. So. Yeah, of course. Yeah, cool. And uh, you uh, you rent a, a condo, or where where did you say? Well, uh, you know this Endorse Sports Travel with Ken yeah. Paul, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I went with them two times. Oh yeah, cool. 
Yeah, but this time they were um, my friends that, that had qualified. Also, they rented uh, like a big villa uh, just uh, up in the hills over uh, White Sands. Okay. So we went there, but I think that was next time I'm gonna go with Kengla again because I feel it. So smooth being close to to everything and get get rides and everything. Yeah. Or, I mean, because this time I had I had to like take a rent a car and then like twenty five minutes to just go home and that's yeah I was flexible enough. I think. Yeah, that can be tough there for sure. Yeah, the first year I went, uh, I stayed way up on the mountain and yeah, it was pretty far away and uh, it was cooler up there, so it was kind of nice, a uh, little bit a e- little bit easier to sleep at night, but uh, it made getting to and from the race and just you know every all the logisticals uh, of heading down to Alehi every day was was challenging for sure. So, um, but that's good. Good to hear on uh, on um, Ken Glaw's service there. That's uh, I've heard good things about that. That's cool. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, cool. So, all right. So, I mean, how? What kind of mental state were you in heading into the race? Uh, well, as I said, I mean, I I didn't really expect much from it myself when I came to Ironman Kalmar and I did a very good performance there. I think so. I was actually quite empty. I mean, didn't have much left in me, so I felt like Hawaii was a was a big bonus just going there, a big relief. And I knew I was in really good shape. I also knew that I was a bit like you know worn out. My back was hurting. My whole system was kind of you know it was a long it was a long season for me. So uh, I was just hoping I would have a. a Body that would actually that wanted wanted to race in the, uh, when we started and felt felt good on the swim, but I came up at 104. I wasn't pleased with that at all, and then I just saw people just firing away on the bike, and I felt like, are these guys like first time first timers, or am I just going too slow? <laughs> so I actually went out a bit easy, and when I when I started picking up the pace, the system just broke down. I threw up once and I didn't even push my watts and I just felt like this is going to be a long day it's like if you start a, if you start golfing and on the, on the first five holes you just keep on hitting the water all the time <laughs> yeah well let's, you know let's... you know you know how early the race is kind of over but you try you try anyways just you want to keep your head high and then felt better but then coming out on the run I, I just cramped all over the system didn't didn't I had nothing left, so. Yeah. Well, let's let's jump it back. Clearly, it sounds like from the amount of swimming you do, that's uh, your favorite part of it. Um, but uh, what? how did the swim go for you? Uh, I took a big lap because I don't I don't enjoy fighting too much because I feel like that just takes too, lot of, too much energy of you. Of you so I, I, go, I start always very far out left. Okay. Right? So I did this this time as well. Uh, even maybe a bit too far out. I felt like I was swimming alone too many times. So, and I also felt like the water was kind of choppy out there. Yeah. I'm not sure if I experienced that too, but I swallowed a lot, hell of a lot of salt water. <laughs> I guess you always do, but this time it felt like my stomach was like a, I don't know. So coming back in, I felt good, but I saw on the clock, I saw 105. I said, oh shit, that was, that wasn't very good. I was hoping like a flat hour or something. So what's, what's your best uh, swim time in Kona? Uh, well, it's actually that was actually the best. That was it. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I also know that the swim course has been shortened 100 meters because they moved. Yeah. You know, there's two buoys out there, and they moved them closer to shore because 
swim course has been 4,000 meters, I guess, uh, for a, quite a period of time. And so it is shortened to, the, to be the correct. Uh, yeah. So every, everyone did one and a half, two minutes past the time. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. So, I mean, I was actually, you know, I was... Normally, I like to swim, you know, at least two times, three times a week, and uh, my buildup was pretty crazy, and there was times when I was only swimming once, maybe twice a week, and uh, so I was kind of, I was really just going to be happy uh, if I swam under 110, and uh, I ended up swimming, you know, about one and, 102 and a half, and uh, I, I like, did a double take on my watch, I couldn't believe it, so, uh, but I also heard how... Um, uh, they did shorten the course a touch, so uh, I'm sure that that helped me as well. But uh, overall, I thought I, I started kind of right in the mix of things, you know, a couple rows back, kind of closer to the right side, uh, um, you know, probably 30, 30 meters from the from the uh, the pier. So um, I had some congestion for sure to start, but uh, um, it actually opened up a little bit quick pretty quickly and i was kind of surprised but then it would come right back and i mean that's definitely one thing with kona is uh you know that many people all of similar swim abilities you know you're you're gonna get contact and be in mayhem the majority of the swim i i did find it opened up a little bit um on the way back you know after you take the turn um and head back for the pier but uh um it was definitely pretty congested but uh I uh, I was on cloud nine when I came out of the water and saw you know one oh two something so yeah um, Ellie any yeah, questions on the swim or anything so I mean the lesson you guys learned is the less you swim you'll get the PR in Kona that I think that's what we should come to a conclusion with huh <laughs> <laughs> um, now you know it's interesting though I've been I've been kind of thinking about that too I mean. You know, there is no doubt that you got to have good swim fitness. And, you know, what I tell my clients, too, that, you know, people that, that don't like to swim that much, you know, I, I do think that your swim fitness can definitely have an effect on your bike and your run fitness, um, where you can kind of get away and get a, a decent swim with, with minimal swim volume, but uh, that I think it does catch up with you later in the race, um, which you'll see it certainly did with me. But, um you know, in general, you know, once I think you can also get away with some things when you've once you've kind of figured out and you have a decent technique, um, you know, if you're able to maintain that, um, you know, there's definitely, you know, people that can that can pull it off on lower volume for sure. But uh, um, uh, clearly, Elliot, I think you're right on that. Uh, you know, there's no other way to explain it than uh, just swim less and you'll uh, you'll go faster. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always say, I mean, even though you're not as fast as a swimmer or whatever, you have to be sure when you do an Ironman, uh, you have to be sure that you can endure an hour in the water because otherwise, if you go up, even though it's 58 minutes or 102 or 107, you come up and you kind of blew it out there, you're not going to perform later on the day because one hour swimming is tough. Absolutely. Especially, especially if it's like an open sea or whatever. And you've been uh, wrestling with some other guys. You, you're gonna be tired. I mean, I mean, and then trying to do 260 watts on the bike after that, and then hoping to run a three-hour marathon. Good luck. It's not gonna happen. Yeah. You, you have to be in decent swim shape. I mean, yeah, I mean, you wanna you wanna get out of the water fresh, and you don't wanna feel 
like your legs are heavy or your arms are heavy at all. So I think that's where just getting the swim volume helps. It's not necessarily the speed per se, but yeah. just feeling fresh out of the water. It's exactly. one of the things you have higher, like I said, you have to, I mean, go, go, go harder, but on, on, on a full, you just take your time, I guess. Don't yeah. go too hard, especially on the swim. Yeah, completely agree. Cool, but then yeah, we get uh, get the swim behind us and uh, headed out on the bike. Um, let's hear about your thoughts on the bike here, Mike. Well, it's impossible not talking about the the, the drafting situation. I kn- I mean, if you have a thousand or twelve hundred people coming out of the water the same during ten minutes of time, you're gonna see uh, big groups, and I mean that's a, just a mathematical fact, right? And sure. I can, I am totally okay with that. The judges are pretty in looking uh, between their fingers when it comes to not picking up cards the first 30 or 40 kilometers because that's not really, I mean, it's the, same, it's the same for everybody, I guess. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think in, in town there, it's definitely tough. And uh, yeah, I mean, I guess if people really want to cheat, maybe that's a place where, uh, they should look to do it because they'll probably be able to get away with it. But, um, you know, I think you still got to do your best to try and hold the ground, but it's tough. And usually it always gets tougher, uh, coming into Apuna or like Aloha. Right. Because of the winds and also the, the course is changing a bit. But this time I felt like the conditions was fairly fast. Although it was pretty hot, it wasn't windy more than for a few moments and so the, the, the groups didn't really split up as much as they should and I think that's where the judges need to be more effective and they don't have to like give people cards because that's impossible to know who started to take over who and who's blocking who that's I mean who can try who can see that coming sure. coming from behind on the bike but they can definitely be biting next to us and blowing the whistle and just telling us to just back off or whatever or telling people to stop and go would be nice yeah that that would split things up uh, i guess I, I mean well i don't know i, I, I mean i know there's people that, that are cheaters but i mean most of us don't want to be caught in that group exactly yeah i mean i don't know uh so i did see really there was definitely some packs but there was one point i got passed by a pack that was uh at least three three bikes wide maybe even four and you know four or five bikes back you know so it was a good pack of a good 15 20 people and like it's one thing i think that if you know all right you know we got the 10 meter zone and you know you you're a little bit within that or something like that occasionally you know that kind of stuff i think is it ultimately going to happen but when you're riding in a pack like that you are deliberately cheating you know and that stuff just really pisses me off so i actually literally when they were passing me you know i said yelled out you know what is this an itu race you know and uh i'm sure who knows uh what what their primary language was but it certainly didn't seem to affect anybody um as they as they motored by me um but uh that was you know just frustrating to me um especially as a as a race official um just to see people doing that and uh um that was probably the biggest pack i've ever seen during a race um around me or whatnot um i am happy to say that uh a minute or two after that while they were still in my sight that uh 
um, an official did come up, and uh, I'm not sure how many people they nabbed, but uh, they definitely gave a few people penalties. But, I mean, I, I agree with you, Michael, or at least, you know, give maybe you give people a warning and tell them to break up. But, you know, at, at that point, to me, it doesn't matter who kind of started, who passed, it was passing who, but, like, you know, you've got that 20-second window or 15-second window to um, to pass, you know, you've got to pass. And if people aren't doing that, they – I. I think you should penalize that entire group or, you know, minus, I guess, the person that's in the lead at that point. But, um, you know. Also, five minutes is, is too easy, coming up too easy. If you've been riding in a pack for, like, two or three hours that you, and you get a five-minute, that's, that's, a, that's a nice rest just. I mean, yeah, you should get yeah. ten minutes or better yet. They, they should be – the first thing they do when they come out on the run course is run, uh, like, a run 1K loop. Yep. Yeah, um, is there, there is a couple, is it European races that have added that in there that, you know, it's definitely been discussed. I think it's, it's a, definitely a good option as to have people do extra distance, um, you know, as part of a penalty. Stand there drinking, stretching, and you kind of get your pulse down. It's actually yeah. quite nice. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, what are ways that you, we can, they can monitor it? Because, I mean... Writing, I mean, you can hear the <laughs> the officials coming up after you. I mean, people hear it. I mean, I when they're blatantly cheating, I mean, they see people looking behind their backs, and I mean, as soon as a race official comes by, I mean, they'll they'll Tuck right get back within in. the ten meters. Yeah, yeah, it's it's bullshit. I mean, it's it happens at every single race. Yeah, they shouldn't be driving Harleys either. They should be happy. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's 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 a it's a really good point. Um, you know, as as an official, I know too. Like, there's some races I show up, and you don't you don't know what kind of bike. You know, it's all volunteers. Um, you know that who you're gonna you're gonna end up riding with. But um, you know, if I see that I'm on a huge Harley, it's like, oh great. You know, I'm not gonna catch that many people. I'm only gonna catch the completely oblivious people. You know, um, today. You know, and. Uh, you know, if we had a lot more, and I actually have been on some more European, if you will, bikes that uh, the smaller ones um, that are a lot more quiet, and it does make a huge difference in being able to catch people. So, I mean, um, you know, I know for some local races and things, uh, we'll take whatever bike we can get, you know, and, um, you know, we're happy to have the volunteers because they are just volunteers. But I think especially for serious events like Ironman, there's really no reason why they shouldn't be able to get, you know, even buy their own damn bikes you know whatever to have and, and be required to to have you know the the quieter bikes that they're riding to try and help with that because i think it does make a big difference i think though i mean this time there's some embarrassing pictures coming out from the race we're going to see some something happening to next year I'm not sure if it's going to be like rolling start because i think they really want that cool you no know, each group massive start, start pictures but they should have like a system where you rank people or whatever because it's it's not really fun going across the world and then being end up in a big peloton for eighty kilometers and coming home and people call you a cheater. It's not fun. It's not funny. It's just yeah. It's a bit little bit depressing. Even though I know, I mean, if the guys are doing nine thirty. We're not winning anything, but still, we want to have a, a proper chance of doing our best, right? Yeah. You want yeah. a fair race. Yeah, I mean, exactly. as, I mean, I can see the I can see the problem. Of course, it's not it's it's not a hundred percent. Nothing is a hundred percent, but you want to have a pretty good chance of doing doing something like a fair race, I guess. 
Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's so hard to cover 180K on on the bike. I mean, a race official will not be with you the entire race. So, I mean, so much of the race is just following the honor code. And, I mean, as you said, it's being broken a lot these days. Yeah. I mean, people don't really, they want to cheat, so... Yep. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, you guys are talking about Kona, but I mean, qualifying for Kona. I mean, so much of Ironman is having a good bike split, and I mean, if you follow the rules and you see a big pack going by, I mean, what do you do? I mean, it's. I mean, your goal is Kona. I mean, you see a big pack going by. I mean, you. you I don't jump in the packs, but I'm like, this is. You see people in your age are just flying by you. You don't really know what to do. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm, it's really tough. Right. Correct me if I'm wrong, but if you if you're actually having those ten meters behind someone, like say a big guy like Colin, if I'm if I'm ten meters behind him, don't I get like a slight advantage, even though fifteen twenty watts or something? Uh, I'm not sure yeah, exactly think, what the wide it is, well, but yeah, there's there's definitely uh, research that's been done that even holding you know that ten meter distance that there is an advantage to that. There is. Um, so, like, the Lionel Sanders, Lionel Sanders just came out with the, his race report, and he wants that gap even bigger, um, extended even more because, I mean, they are getting, I mean, you do get a draft advantage if you're 10 meters back. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know. I think it's finding the happy medium there. So, yes, is there an advantage there? And, you know, I am open, you know, to definitely, I'm, I'm a fan, actually, of, of riding as a group but not in a group, right? So, I mean, right. if you want to hold a gap and, and keep it legal, you know, there's definitely, like, just like the pros do, you know, they, they exactly. do ride together, you know, but they maintain that gap and different people taking pulls and, and leading the charge. You know, I have no problem with that whatsoever. Um, and I think that it's a smart strategy, but, um, you know, the difference between riding 10 meters behind somebody and, you know, keeping it in, in a line there than riding as an actual group and being literally on peop other people's wheels, you know, is just night and day. So I, I'm not sure. That's a good question, Michael. Like, what is the advantage differences there or whatnot? Um, you know, and there's, but it's, it's definitely significant and, uh, you know, not the way our races are supposed to be raced. So um, I'd love to figure out a way, I, I you know, ultimately if we don't want to get too far off here i mean I, I i think our sport is flawed just in general and you know arguably if we're talking about the fact that by rule you know if you get within 10 meters of somebody you have to pass them or you have drafted right but you know let's say in the race michael you know you were coming up behind me and you got within that 10 meters and then i decided to just floor it you know and sprint up ahead so that you couldn't pass me you know, then that's then technically you deserve a drafting penalty for that, you know, which um, I, I find that, you know, kind of to be a flaw in the system there. But, you know, really, what can we do? You know, there's it's, it's tough. We would we'll probably see the situation and don't call out drafting at that time. Hopefully. Well, right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's certainly where, you know, you got to use, um, you know, your judgment. And that's kind of one thing, honestly, I stride myself on uh, as an official is you know, putting myself in the athlete's shoes and, you know, making sure that uh, what they're doing is fair and makes sense in those situations where um, I think some of the officials that don't really have much race experience, um, you know, they look exactly at what the book is and, um, you know, don't have any subjectiveness to it, which is uh, definitely a problem. I was hoping in the future they could have a two-day venue. I mean, if, if you have a 
pros and uh, maybe elite amateurs or whatever you want to call them on, on a Saturday racing. Maybe the, the best females, of course, women, of course. And that could be like four or 500 people and then have the other 2,000 that are just there for fun or just to just to uh, just to just to have an no. No, so that, that would really separate and then have a rolling start and then you know then you maybe different rules maybe 15 meter or 15, 20 meter drafting cell or something yeah it's an interesting thought I mean I'll tell you that uh if I'm going to Kona, I, I'd want to be racing on that Saturday, <laughs> uh, you know, as opposed to uh, on Sunday there, uh, if they were doing it that way, you know, whatever. And I think that they'll be... Yeah, right, right. But uh, I I think that there really does need to be something done here. And I really think that uh, your point about, you know, running extra distance or doing something like that is a much better penalty than sitting in the box for five minutes you know um so all right well uh yeah we've we went off on a pretty good tangent about drafting here but let's um let's take it back in so you said that you were struggling um just didn't have it that day on the bike but what what do you think of you said you didn't think the conditions were too bad but tell us anything else you want to talk about with the bike no i just the conditions were kind of fast and people were People are always saying after Kona, oh, that was the toughest year ever. And, yeah, uh, that's it, my it, joke. It really, it really wasn't. If you look at the times, you look at what kind of a place you got, if you had that time, you will see that was a pretty fast year. And I felt on going, coming back, actually, then I felt better on the bike. So it wind, the wind really never, you didn't have any tailwind, but although you didn't have, really have any massive headwind either more than a, for a few, few more than a few times so I felt like going back was actually quite okay this time usually you just feel like you want to kill yourself um, yeah and I did although <laughs> <laughs> I mean five, five, five hours under the sun is a tough, is a, and that's a tough task I mean your back is hurting and you, you, your, your head is aching I mean your legs are usually fine but the rest, the rest of the system is just giving up yeah yeah, it's tough. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I felt like uh, the conditions, I don't know, I think of the four years I've done it now, I'd put it kind of in the middle or towards the, on the higher side, I guess, of the easier. I think that uh, 2013, uh, I felt like was condition-wise a little bit better. But, um, you know, especially, you know, heading out on, um, you know, on the Queen K, like towards once you get close to turning off the Javi there, like, um, there was a couple of sections that definitely had a, a pretty good headwind, um, but then, you know, I, I, I've always remembered it being much more severe and more challenging getting all the way up to Javi to the turnaround there, and uh, I didn't feel like it was that bad this year, um, you know, and then the way back, there was there was a little bit, but yeah, I've definitely had way more challenging years and uh, um, didn't feel like we had the, the strong headwinds um, that we've had in, in years past uh, um, heading back there, so um i thought overall i i definitely um you know was overall I, I kept it pretty low on the wattage you know my goal was to uh shoot for like 225 to 235 i think my normalized power ended up at like 231 or something like that so i was kind of right where i want to be but uh normally i i will uh i'll push it a little bit more at the beginning of the race to try and get you know up with some some people but uh 
there was none of that this year, and uh, I'm very glad I did because even actually I got probably 20, 30 miles into the bike, and I started to feel my legs a little bit, which is usually never a good sign, and um, they never really got any worse, but uh, clearly I didn't have the bike fitness I, I'd like to have, and even at that low wattage uh, was probably about what I had for the day. So, um, you know, so what uh, I ended up with a, what, 521, 522 bike split, um, what was your, your bike split, Mike? That was actually quite funny. I had 232 normalized power. Did you? Uh, yeah. I'm up. That's funny. And then, yeah. but yeah, you biked, uh, just under 510. So, um, better than me, that's for sure. But yeah, I'm sure you, uh, even though you're a pretty big guy as well, but, uh, um, I've got, uh, yeah, I've got, uh, and that's another thing I should certainly mention. Uh, so I'm actually... I was at least 15, maybe even 20 pounds heavier than I was when I raced in 2014. So. What about 190 pounds? So I weigh. Uh, I'm more at like 195. I, and after my carb loading, I think I was closer to 200 on on race day. And uh, in 2014, I think I was 185 with my carb load. So. Uh, yeah. What are you weighing at, Michael? Um. 175 maybe yeah. 180 some, somewhere yeah depends so. I'm 190 um, I don't know about feet or uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's cool <laughs> but yeah you know you're uh, from running with you there uh, I, you gotta be at least 6 feet tall um, yeah, definitely, definitely. yeah. Um, so <laughs> cool well oh yeah one thing actually I do have a, a beef on this and um, so I um I got to about the turnaround, and I still actually hadn't uh, hadn't peed at all, and I kind of had to, but uh, my system wasn't uh, exactly allowing me. Let's say I just needed, for the first time, I don't think I've ever stopped on an Ironman bike course, but I needed to um, to use a facility, you know, and um, I uh, rode the entire way back, and there was not one porta potty on the bike course that I saw on the way back. Actually looked for one as well. Yeah, uh, I didn't see any. No, I don't think there was any, and that. Uh, so I, I didn't because I couldn't because uh, something would have. Let's not get too graphic here, but would have been coming out both ends there, and uh, I. Uh, so I couldn't even. I wanted to pee, but I couldn't. So I that definitely I think threw off my stomach a bit because I was holding stuff in, and uh, uh, I guess I could have pulled off on the side of the road, but I just kept thinking that uh, at the next aid station they were going to have a porty party there, and. Uh, I've definitely remembered in the past that they've had porta potties, so I don't know what if it was just a mistake this year or they've like changed it. But uh, definitely a gripe of mine is I was baffled that uh, I didn't see uh, a porta potty out there. I noticed that on the run there was like very few of them as well, and I feel like if they don't want to have a embarrassing scene, they need to have more of those. I mean, yeah. how can be? You can't have people sitting around. On, on, on the street where people live, I mean, in the bushes, it's, it's not nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's not decent. I mean, if you got to go, you got to go, especially during an Ironman. So. Exactly, yeah. So. I'm not sure why they didn't, why they didn't have more. It's just, just put them up there. Yeah, I think with how well they put on that event, uh, I don't think that that would be that hard for them to do. And uh, um, I was talking to somebody, a local actually after the race and he was asking me about, you know, would you change anything, you know, whatever. And I was like, well, actually, yeah. And he's like, you got to make sure you give them that feedback, you know, whatever. And, uh, so 
Um, that was really my only gripe. I mean, the aid stations are great. I think they added in one extra aid station, and um, you know, the this the volunteers just as a whole in that race are just absolutely amazing. Every race they are really, but uh, especially at Kona, you know, they they've got great support all day. So. Um, but I do think that, uh, it must've been kind of a management decision, um, to pass on those. I mean, it's probably a pain in the ass driving them out there and things like that, but, uh, that's something they got to do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, um, so I did, uh, as I got off the bike, I felt all right, but I, uh, I did stop and transition and, uh, take care of business there. Um, which I think helped for sure, but, uh, didn't make for my, uh, fastest transition time. Um, so um but yeah i i felt uh pretty good heading out of the run um so i you know thought i was going out conservatively at like i think i started out at like 745 um or michael sorry we're gonna do this in minutes per mile so we're gonna i don't think i can convert it fast enough to kilometers at this point but uh <laughs> um but uh so i thought i was going out conservatively but uh even by um you know, mile four or five, I was, I by no means was hurting, but I could tell that, uh, I wasn't, it was going to be tough to, to hold that pace. And, um, you know, but running on a lay, he's always fun. And, uh, I enjoyed that part of the race. And then I did actually make a tactical decision prior to the race that I was going to walk up Polani this year. And, uh, I'm very glad that I did that. Um, because, uh, you know, I was kind of keeping an eye on my heart rate and, and using that to dictate my pace at some points. But, uh, you know, it's a it's a pretty good little climb, and uh, it's a very easy way to uh, really spike your heart rate. And with my run fitness being where it was compared to the past, uh, I think that was a smart move. But uh, um, that's kind of right. where I was at for the first half. Uh, how was your run going, Michael? I'd like to see figures how much you actually gain from running up Polani, because I feel like that hill is, I mean, coming in, it's like, what is it, after like an hour 10? Is it 16 or 17 kilometers out? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, right, I think that makes about sense. I mean, it's just about at the 10-mile mark. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And having that, usually that's where you start to hurt somewhat, right, or having a dip or something. Yeah. Running up that hill, I don't see the point, actually. I mean, it's better to have a smooth run the first 17. That's a, see, I mean, I, I usually see it as a little, like a little, as a little breather, just going up there, get my fluids in, get yeah. my heart rate down. Right. Uh, you're losing what, like one and a half minutes to the other runners, maybe that are running up actually. Tops. And yeah. Yeah, and, and those guys' heart rates go flying, and I mean, just up the roof and they looks like they're really suffering up there. I mean, I don't see, I don't see the point. Yeah. Now, nah, well, I definitely, actually, I can't remember the first year. Maybe I, I probably did kind of a run walk, but, uh, definitely in 2014, um, and 13, I think I, I ran up it, but, uh, yeah, I think if I, uh, were to go back, um, you know, that's, uh, I, I'm glad I made that decision. And, uh, I think you're on point there, Michael, for sure. So how was uh, guys like, uh, yeah the big boys like us yeah maybe two hundred top guys shouldn't be running up the hills yeah yeah no I agree um, how are you feeling heading to that uh, to that point the problem is thirteen fourteen and this year I always want to I feel as crappy as you can on the first ten. 10 miles on the run I'm not sure why usually that that's the, that's the part where you feel good right yeah 
I just felt awful. All the, I mean, you, I got cramps in my stomach, in my chest, in my lower back, headache, nausea. Um, I'm leaving out something like, <laughs> felt like I had some slight of fever or whatever. Oh, Usually, as soon as I get up to the Queen K, I feel a bit relieved and I feel like I can cool myself down better up there rather than Ali Drive. I feel Ali Drive is like hell for me. I'm not sure why. No kidding. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm definitely the opposite. Where uh, I usually feel like a million bucks on a on a Leahy, and I I mean it's obviously it's a more enjoyable atmosphere being right on the coast, and there's a lot more fan support than when you get out to to hell. Um, I mean the Queen K. Um, you know it's uh, it's definitely a little bit different, but um, yeah. I actually, Queen K and and Energy Lab is actually the, the highlights of the on the race. Now, I must be. Uh, psychopath but i actually feel that yeah Yeah, i think you're just crazy i think yeah those are like the worst parts of the course (laughs) people have been telling me that's where you die that's where people crash but whatever and when i went there first time i just felt like i don't feel any difference here rather than just being a hell all the time so (laughs) yeah no i i I definitely do think it's more of you know where it is in the race that is this than the fact that it's the energy lab i mean it's it is a slight descend heading into there and then you turn around and you have to come back up and i think that can hit people pretty good but it's also because of the fact that you're at you know mile uh 16 to 20 ish in there you know whatnot and uh that's always uh when things things rarely uh are feeling easy at that point to say the least so um absolutely but uh so michael i uh i met you i, I want to say it was like mile 12 or 13 probably somewhere in there i guess it should be like at the half marathon somewhere yeah right in around there so uh um i was uh definitely starting to, to hurt a little bit and just uh i kind of yeah i was i was slowing down and uh i, I forget exactly how our conversation started but uh we I both think we were running with a, a two Dutch guys, or I was actually. Yeah. And I was, I was just lack of motivation. I had nothing to run for anymore. I just felt like I'm in no man's land. Uh, I mean, I was way, way behind. Uh, didn't have much to struggle for. I wasn't really hurting either. I, was, I, I guess I was just cranky. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's right. So I do remember. So we kind of started chatting, and we we ran side by side for a bit, and. Uh, I think at the beginning I was maybe helping you pull along a little bit, yeah. uh, but then uh, that uh, that quickly shifted significantly the other way, and um, you know I uh, as I uh, thank Michael on Facebook and uh, even during the race of quite a few times, uh, well maybe not completely there was a few times when I was like just leave me alone dude let me uh, let me slow down and get you know suffer even more but. Uh, he stuck with me the whole time. It was the first time I've ever done that where I've ran with somebody. And, um, you know, he was literally, like, giving me drinks at the uh, aid stations uh, the whole nine. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of chatted the, the whole time. It was cool. And, um, uh, yeah, it was it I was, was actually getting thing. a bit worried for you because you, you forgot to eat and drink for a time. I did. And you were... The face was, I mean, you, and that wasn't pretty. You were looking, <laughs> and you were sweating, not on the places you want to be sweating. I mean, mostly over, you know, your upper lip or something. And I mean, your body started to look like you were going to, to, um, to collapse or faint. So, yeah, there was, there was, there was a few gels and then a few cokes. And I guess 
he was actually looking a bit better for a time. But then, but then with like five miles left, there were, I, I just saw your pain. <laughs> this guy is gonna. <laughs> He's in a, such a bad place right now. I can't leave him here. So yeah. it's just, <laughs> no, that's exactly right. I mean, I think a, a huge blunder I made, sorry, Michael, was uh, I don't know, I'm embarrassed as a coach to kind of say this, but no doubt that uh, I just kind of, when I started to get in that bad spot, I uh, I stopped eating and not intentionally. I just like literally just kind of forgot. And uh, that was a gigantic mistake that I think led me to, to hurting as badly as I did. And it wasn't until Michael was like, dude, have you eaten anything? And I was like, oh, shit, no, I haven't. And, um, you know, I think that that's definitely a lesson to listeners here is that, uh, you know, you got to stay on point. Even sometimes when your stomach's not feeling great, you know, you can't, you're, you're so depleted at that point. And if you don't, you know, feed yourself, you're gonna, you're gonna suffer and you're gonna, you're gonna slow down. And, uh, so, um, fortunately that Michael helped me out there and I kind of got things back up for a little bit, like he said. And then the last, uh, the last 10 K still were, uh, were a struggle or even yeah, I did find a little bit in between there but uh it was tough and uh there's no doubt it would have been I'm guessing 30 45 minutes slower um and kind of just walked a lot more if it wasn't for Michael pushing me along there so thank you very much my new friend <laughs> No you were, I mean I was you were, you were I mean true champ true champ Can you hear me okay? Yeah, we can hear you fine. Yeah. So um yeah so i mean you know again it kind of started out where i think i was helping you a little bit but then uh you clearly uh really helped me out more but uh ultimately we helped each other and um you know it, it made the experience a hell of a lot better and um you know i look back at the race it's definitely something that uh um you know i'll think about and remember and and you know this is two people that uh from different parts of the world you know that uh, fortunately michael could speak english or it would have been a little bit different story i guess but <laughs> um you know iron man we have uh, a lot of really cool people that do this race and uh you know can help each other and uh you know not knowing each other before still go out and have a good time together and things so um i think it speaks highly to the the quality of people that we have so all right, cool. Sorry, we just took a quick break. I think uh, Michael lost his internet for a second, so um, we're back in my, you know, joyous uh, kumbaya moment there about how awesome Iron Man people are. Um, <laughs> you know, it was uh, it was definitely a good experience, um, and I thank Michael again for uh, for being there to to help me out, and uh, that was uh, the highlight of my race. I must say, you actually also. I don't, I don't want to be some little cheesy here, but. You actually gave me a purpose of continuing running because I was the place I was going to was wasn't very nice. I was, as I said, lack of motivation. I didn't see purpose of anything, and then being able to have someone that would that look pretty, yeah, at times pretty uh, suffering out again felt 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 pretty good actually. And also, I used to get no people. It's always fun to talk about other guys that are doing the same thing you do and knowing that you're not really alone in the world being as strange as you are doing these races. <laughs> so. Right. No, that's a good point as well. So we both got it done. So Michael beat me. Um, let's see, Michael, you, you did uh, 10, 15, 41, and I did, uh, shoot, actually I don't have it in front of me, 10, 17 something. So um, 
overall, uh, certainly not, actually not my worst Kona. I did do uh, far worse, actually, my first year. It was over 11 hours. Um, but, uh, you know, what was that? Uh, a good uh, 45, 50 minutes slower than my best there. Um, so uh, not ideal, but for me, given the, my current fitness and everything I've had going on, um, I'm pretty content with it and uh, would have loved to have broken 10. But uh, um, again, given where I was at, uh, I'm, uh, I'm good with it. So how about you, Michael? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, after, after 10K on the run, I, I, I knew this is not going to be a fast year. So I kind of didn't really care so much about the time. I did 9.45 uh, 2014, which was pretty fast for that year. And and as I had a good performance in, in Ironman Sweden, I didn't really, it yeah. didn't bother me much. I knew, I know Sub people. Sub nine in, in Ironman Sweden for the record, folks. So that's a prestigious, pretty, pretty prestigious club that he's a member of that uh, I would like to join someday. Still haven't yet. So same here. That's, that's badass, <laughs> I mean, man. I, I don't want to take too much credit. It's um, you need, you, you, of course, you need a good fitness, but you need that specific race to be. You need to have a good swim, obviously. You need to have some company on the bike, so you have guys to ride with. Not not sucking on any wheels here, but yep. I mean, you have. No, to just have like it. we talked about before. Absolutely. Yep. You need to have that kind of race going on so you have the, the motivation keeps high and on the run you need to be chasing someone and also be chased by someone having a position in the race which keeps it interesting on continuing to struggle otherwise you're going to have a problem I guess uh, me coming off the bike and we didn't have any pros I was 19th off the bike and quickly up to like 13, 14 and then managed to be 12 overall which was 10 minutes behind the one that guy that won. So it was kind of, we were just like 20 or 30 or one minute behind each other that, that got the group of 15 people, which was, so oh, there was right always there. like a threat coming, coming from the back and always someone to chase. So that, 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 that kind of type of dynamics I felt is, is, is you need to have that to continue. I, I didn't know how fast I was going, but a 307 marathon is um, pretty good for me anyways. Yeah, that's great. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. it seems like you put it all together that race. I mean, a 58 swim, a 446 bike, and a 307 run. I mean, that's that's pretty solid across the board. Sure. I'm actually disappointed with the bike. I'm usually, I think I would be able to do below 440, but I I, I need to take take three piss because I was I was drinking too much and it was pretty cold. Yeah. So I had to kind of stop. I don't I don't have the skill set to able doing that when it goes really fast so i uh, and i lost my group like three times so i had oh, to be yeah. riding it for them for yeah, the training yeah. Yeah, so. it, it is an art yeah. it's a skill for sure and it's hard to do uh definitely at, at intensity but uh it's something that uh if you want to get to kona i think uh for most people it's something you got to be able to do <laughs> so I yeah. Hey, Michael, I have a question for you. So you said your first Ironman was just over 10 hours, and then this year you went under nine at Sweden. I mean, what what thing do you attribute to getting to the next level? I mean, a lot of people work. I mean, they, they train really hard, and, I mean, they don't see gains like that. I mean, sure, it's but I, very rare, but <laughs> you I, I, seem to I, have done it. Yeah, I knew I was coming from a good position from the start. I, my first marathon was... 
2011, it, I did 257, just an ordinary marathon. So I knew I knew I had some good qualities in myself, but I also knew I was lacking bike skills, right? So in 2012, I knew I I could run fast. I could I, I thought I could learn how to swim because I did 110 on my first. Uh, I knew I was a bit behind on the bike, so that's why I called uh, Bjorn who knows everything there is about cycling and, and, and some. So, and I took one of those 12 months, I just sat on the trainer and I bled. I mean, I did sessions, I just felt like I want to kill myself during and after or before. And I just Work, rode my Worked your ass off, yeah. Yeah, and I, since then I've been doing, if you're if looking into hours, I just I just trained 375, 400 hours per year, approximately, but 250 of those are cycling. Yeah. And, and, and usually I just, I don't have any zone two sessions or slow sessions. I just go hard. And I know that's not what people think you should do. And maybe I should, should have a better mix, but I just, I don't have the time to... To, um, to to have those too much of a distance session, so I just have to risk myself. So that's I guess. Yeah, I mean your your yearly volume, I mean, is much lower than I mean a lot of the other top age groupers out there, and um, yeah, I mean I think wait, I mean so you say you always you you go hard all the time, but I I mean I think you you stress quality over quantity. I mean any any part of the day or any time of the week. I mean, you just have the schedule where you don't have time to get in the huge amounts of volumes that you see other people doing. No, I don't. I don't. And, I, and actually, I don't like doing volume either because I get bored. Um, yeah, that's fair too. Just a person I am, I guess. Well, yeah, I mean, but I mean, there's the the mental side too to putting in the volume, you know, and uh, all the time that this sport takes, and you know, I think that that's often overlooked, you know, and. Um, you know, I always say, too, when I get questions from new clients, you know, or, you know, they'll ask, you know, all right, well, how many hours am I going to need to do to train for an Ironman? And, um, you know, certainly there's kind of general guidelines that I can give people, but uh, I don't really like to answer that question because, you know, I'd say, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you really, in most cases, the minimal amount of work that needs to be done to get you where you want to be, you know, and, and what that means for, you know, Michael versus Elliot or anybody else, you know, and things like that is, is totally different and, and dependent on that person. So, um, you know, you'd have to be able to, uh, adjust the volume, but also work within the, the circumstances of, of that, that athletes, you know, uh, uh, what they've got going on outside of that and their work and their limitations and whatnot and family. So, um, absolutely. You know, I think that it's, uh, Clearly, it works. You, you're proving that, and um, you know, not surprised that uh, that that method's working for you. And um, you know, I think there's there's no doubt that the the long and slow, you know, does work. But not many people have the time, or even again, the mental strength to be able to to tolerate that. Um, so, um, and also, I must say, even though we, I have periods when I train quite a lot, and the thing I try to do, if if I don't like being out. During one session that long, I tried to do a lot of sessions, like like during a seven-day period of time, I go for five rides, like between two hours and three hours, and that takes me up to a lot of hours during a certain amount of time. And I, I, I suppose I can actually cope with that because my 
I never have a dip on the late stages of the race. I actually go faster, or I, I can all usually keep the pace on the run and on this on the bike. But I haven't had a, there's a one session over four hours this year on the bike, and I never uh, have a session over two hour ten minutes on the run. Yeah. Never. Interesting. So no, even like your long run, the longest run you do, max is 210? No, oh, it's actually two. Two hours, two, huh? 210 was just because I, I got lost, so I had to get back. <laughs> wow, that's, uh, that's interesting. And uh, not that I go ton over that, but that's uh, um, definitely on the lower side. But uh, again, clearly working pull a 307 off with that off the bike is impressive. Very cool. So, all right, well, geez, we've already been up over an hour, it looks like, here. So, um, Elliot, you got any uh, any other questions or things you want to hit up on? Uh, no. Oh, hey, did you uh, see the ITU Stockholm race, Michael? No, I, did you I make was, it out there and watch it? I usually go watch it because, uh, but this time I was actually out of town. Uh, oh. It's a awesome venue. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm a big fan of watching those races, and I think that that race was probably the best race of the year. I'm so, I, mean, I really enjoyed it. I'm so embarrassed that I usually I used to say when I was doing the sport that ITU were, were for dorks and just going, you know, how hard can it be being on the And I must say, I I look at those guys, and there's nothing cooler than seeing like young guys like 22, 23. And they are so stupid. I mean, the, 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 the speed they're doing in, the technique, the riding skills you need to have to be able to perform on that level, I'm just, I'm just stoked. Yeah, it's those amazing. guys are just truly on a different level. They are absolutely amazing. And people think that they're uh, sitting back and coasting on the bike are, are beyond insane because those guys are absolutely yeah, sure. hammering. I mean, look at the Brownlee guys going. I mean, they they all... They don't. They don't coast the end of things. They're, they're leading the group. They're going so hard. I can even believe they are coming off the bike with, with legs that aren't torn apart. And I know. Exactly. Then they go like a thirty minute on the ten k. It's, it's crazy. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, cool. all right, Michael, and it's getting late over there. I know, so uh, we'll be respectful of your time, but. Uh, Again, it was a pleasure meeting you. Thanks for the help in Kona, but um, and thanks for being on the show here. We we really appreciate it, and uh, maybe we can get you on again sometime soon. Hopefully, and thank you very much for having me. It was a nice nice talk, and uh, just let me know if you want to have me on board again. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Cool. Um, all thank right. Thank you, Mike. Well, thanks, everybody. Um, we'll be back on sometime soon. Take care.